Our reading today from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. We're in the seventh chapter, beginning at verse 24. And of course, this is Jesus speaking. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching, because he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So uh, today and next weekend, we're going to be meditating on our life together in Christian community and that life that we know and celebrate here at Faith is that life we have in Christ that we experience uh, together as the people of God. And we're not talking about just any old life, but the new life that is ours only through the grace of God and Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ, we'd have no life in us. We'd still be trapped in the shadow of sin and death. But we all are here because we have received new life. And we know what the scriptures tell us, that the light of God's love has scattered the darkness of sin, and indeed has made us free. God has made us new people. We are not in bondage to the sin that uh, for so long was um, the condition of the human race. We have been set free. We have been made new in Christ. But this freedom, this liberty, this new life is not uh, for license. It's not to do as we please or to go our own way. This life given to us in Christ is experienced only in community. And that community is called the church. There's a fancy word for that in the New Testament. It's a Greek word called ekklesia. And it literally means those who have been called out, who've been called forth, called from sin, called from death, called from darkness to live this new life that is ours in the Lord. And that should remind us that uh, the church, the ecclesia, um, was never intended to be thought of exclusively as a building or some human institution. Uh, The Word of God calls us the bride of Christ, a people, dear to the Lord, beloved in the sight of Jesus. We are people who live life Communally, we come here to hear the word. We come here to praise his holy name. Uh, We leave here every weekend to go in peace and serve the Lord in our daily discipleship. So think about this. 10,000 Spain Road is what I tell people when they ask me, so where's your church? Oh, it's on 10,000 Spain Road, just up from Eubank. That's really not a true statement, is it? This is the place where we come together in community, 
as community to celebrate this life we know as brothers and sisters. But my answer to those folks and even the signs on the street are really inaccurate if you want to think about this theologically correctly because Faith Lutheran Church is here only when all of you are here. The rest of the week, Faith Lutheran Church spreads out to occupy your homes, your apartments, your schools, your businesses, all the places where you go to recreate, to enjoy life and serve the Lord. So this building, as beautiful as it is, is no more the church than an empty stage is the orchestra that will come and make music on it. Uh, This building is no more the real church than an empty stadium is the athletic team that will uh, come and compete within it. And there are markers. There are distinguishing features to this community life that we experience together as God's people. And Jesus describes them for us in our lesson today from Matthew's Gospel. Uh, We are a people who have been established on a firm foundation. We are a people who are built on the rock. Our life together is all because of Jesus, the cornerstone, the sure foundation. And that means that we are not built on human traditions and that we're not built around the personality of any pastor. There is nothing wrong with traditions. Every congregation has traditions. Some of those traditions are nearly 2,000 years ago. Have any of you ever gone to an Orthodox worship service that lasts three hours? I mean, those liturgies go back to... um, the first experience of the Christian church when its worship was organized and people could come out of hiding uh, as they once did uh, during times of persecution that the first century church faced when they worshiped in homes and in caves. So there's nothing wrong with tradition. Every congregation has a tradition. Even the so-called non-denom and independent churches have tradition. After a matter of months, the newest, most non-traditional congregation has a way that they do things. That's tradition. Uh, These traditions can be helpful. They can bless us in our worship and in our walk with Christ. But traditions were never intended to replace a living relationship with the living God. When our traditions, when any congregation's traditions are more important to us than God himself, well, then we have something else going on, and it might rightly be called religion. But we must never confuse religion with a real relationship with a loving God. Um, Martin Luther put it this way, tradition must always be subservient to the gospel. The gospel should never be secondary or subservient to any human tradition. 
He even said it's not necessary that the traditions of men, and that was the language he used in those days, we could say the traditions of men and women are not required to be everywhere the same. Luther said there's only a couple things required for the church to worship faithfully, and that's the gospels proclaimed in its purity, and the sacraments of baptism and communion are administered according to the gospel. Within that, there's a lot of freedom, isn't there? And likewise, <clears throat> our life together is not built around the personality, the reputation, or the charisma of any uh, temporary pastor. Uh, pastors come and pastors go. The word of God endures. It endures forever. Now, thankfully, pastors have a role to play in the life of any congregation. But the people of God must insist that that role is in service to the Lord of the church and uh, for the glory of God. Now, many of you have heard of and even studied the life of a Christian martyr by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. For those of you who have yet to learn of Bonhoeffer, he was a German Lutheran pastor, I think a brilliant theologian, who dared to uh, resist the Nazi regime under Adolf Hitler when so many Lutheran congregations were willingly praising the Fuhrer. Uh, he was arrested and he was uh, executed in a concentration camp just days before the Allied forces arrived to liberate all the prisoners there. But before his death, uh, in a wonderful little book that you should read if you haven't, uh, it's called Life Together, it's where I got the title for today's sermon. In that small book, Life Together, he writes, Every cult of personality that emphasizes the distinguished qualities, virtues, and talents of another person, even though these be of an altogether spiritual nature, is worldly and has no place in Christian community indeed, it poisons Christian community. So you see, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. Uh, people should never say that they go to Bruce's church. It's not my church. It belongs to Jesus. And I'm here with all of you as baptized Christians to serve the Lord in my daily walk. Jesus also says that those of us called into this community are to uh, endure the storms. And we're not to do that just by uh, you know, sheer determination. We do that because of our foundation. The foolish man who built on sand had to face the floods, the rains, and the winds. And so did the wise man. That wise man who built properly was not spared from harshness or the threatening environment. He had to deal with all the dangers, this side of heaven, as well as the foolish man. And these words of Christ, brothers and sisters, remind us not to uh, fall for the false gospel that's really doing great these days. It's uh, very successful here in America. This false gospel is a lie, but it continues to uh, play well. It fills stadiums. It sells lots of books, and that is the gospel of personal prosperity. 
This false gospel makes Jesus a leprechaun at the end of a rainbow with a pot of gold, not the crucified one bleeding and suffering on a cross who invites us to follow him. In this false religion, suffering only happens to those who fail, who fail to uh, put their trust in this magical Jesus who will make each and every desire of your heart come true. If you want a new Mercedes, well, trust Jesus. He'll give it to you. If you want a million dollars, well, trust Jesus. He'll give it to you. And on and on and on. And don't get me wrong. God wants us to prosper. But prospering in the Bible is bearing good fruit. The fruits of the Spirit. It's growing in grace. Because serving Jesus and standing on the word can very well bring about great personal loss and suffering. But no matter what the world throws at us, no matter how violent the environment or how great the temporary loss, and we all have losses this side of heaven, the life we have together in Christ, this community cannot be taken away. I'll never forget a young man who uh, visited our church on and off for years and then eventually decided to become a part of the fellowship. I had the privilege of baptizing him. And it was uh, shortly after he made that commitment that he asked for some time to come and visit. And he described his life before coming to Christ and then his life after being in Christ. And he said, you know, Pastor Bruce, some things were actually a lot easier before I became a Christian. He said, back then, I did whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. And now, I want to do my best and do what God wants. And sometimes that's really hard. And then he went on to tell me that some of my oldest friends don't want anything to do with me anymore. And I thought they'd be happy for me. And people at work that I thought would rejoice in the the good changes in my life, well, some of them are now actually making fun of me. And some of them have told me that being a Christian is just stupid. I don't think this young man is alone. Uh, His experience is the experience of many. (coughs) Following Christ can uh, indeed mean rejection and ridicule, and it can mean great suffering. The Apostle Paul was beheaded. Uh, Peter was crucified upside down. That's hardly a prosperity gospel. And they lost their lives. They gave their lives because they loved Jesus And they uh, stood on that rock. And then our Lord reminds us all to uh, be word doers. (laughs) To put the word into action. To test it, to apply it, to try it out. Some of you know that uh, I was blessed by and enriched by the spiritual wisdom and the uh, mentoring of a Christian by the name of Dallas Willard. Uh, 
He was a brilliant um, professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California, but he was also, in my opinion, a brilliant theologian who taught adjunct at the faculty at Fuller Seminary, where you allowed me to earn my doctorate. Um, Dallas was brilliant in many ways, but he was so human in others, like a lot of men, he didn't go for a physical for like five years, and then when he started to feel uh, sick, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer, and he died just weeks later. So even brilliant theologians still need to remember see your doctor annually. But before he died, um, Dallas wrote these words in one of his books, and I'm going to quote for you. As Christians, knowing the right answers, knowing what they are, being able to identify them or even say them, does not mean that we believe them. To believe them, like believing anything else, means that we are set to act as if they were true. The idea that you can trust Christ and not seek to obey him is an illusion generated by the prevalence of an unbelieving Christian culture. You can no more trust Jesus and not intend to obey him And this is very ironic that Dallas said this. You can no more trust Jesus and not tend to obey him than you could trust your doctor or your auto mechanic and not intend to follow their advice. If you don't intend to follow their advice, you simply don't trust them. So we're to be word doers. We're to be seeking the mind of Christ in all things. I want to tell you all something that... um, you probably don't know unless you're a retired pastor who's gone to pastoral conferences. Uh, pastors are weird. We're a weird bunch. Um, I go to conferences because I, I need to. Um, I'd rather hang around um, just good old baptized Christians, truth be told. Because when pastors get together, and this has been going on for me since 1984. Um, we fall into the same predictable um, habit. It doesn't happen at once, but it happens within minutes. There's the introductions. There's the pleasantries. And then the pastors start doing what pastors always do whenever I've been around them. They start crunching numbers. Pastors start boasting they start asking one another, so how big is your church? And by that, they mean both the membership and the building. Uh, What's your annual budget? Uh, How much do they pay you? And then pastors like to boast about the number of Bible study groups they have in their congregations. But I've also discovered that some church members like to do the same. Pastors will say, oh, we have 20 Bible study groups in my congregation. And some church members will say, oh, we had over 200 women show up at our last Bible study. Don't get me wrong. Big numbers are awesome. Big numbers in terms of people represent more folks 
seeking the mind of Christ and coming to study the Word. I wish we had even more Bible studies here at Faith than we do now. It's good to study the Word. But wouldn't it be great if more congregations had Bible action groups? And when pastors got together, instead of talking about the numbers they have, talk about their vision for the numbers they'd like to see come to Christ. Oh, that more men and women would meet regularly to plan their action strategy for doing the word this week. And then finally, and this doesn't come, of course, from the mouth of Christ in today's reading, but it's a reaction to the power and the truth of Jesus. Uh, It's the authority that belongs to him. Those who heard Jesus talking about the wise and foolish men were astounded by what he had to say because he had such power. This is because Jesus is not what culture wants to make him, another good teacher, a fine, wise young man. He is God. Of course, the crowds were astounded. God was talking to them in the flesh. Uh, Your personal preferences of uh, Bible translations may render that word astonished or amazed or even surprised. But those reactions were all because Jesus came to them with an authority like they'd never experienced before. In our life together, we do our best to know his will, to seek it and to do it. Not because we live in fear of a Jesus who's going to punish us if we don't, but because he is the God of love He is the crucified king. He loved us first, and we want to love him back and serve him well. We do this because Jesus is nothing less than the almighty God who suffered and died in our place on a cross that we might have a place with him forever. So let me go back to Dietrich Bonhoeffer one more time. These words are very instructive. And please forgive the um, masculine language of his day. Uh, Back in Germany in the 30s and 40s, no one was worried about inclusive language. Christians were worried about dying. So I quote, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal that we must realize Christian brotherhood, rather, is a reality already created by God in Christ in which we participate. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of our fellowship is in Jesus Christ alone, the more serenely shall we think of our fellowship and pray for it and hope for it. Back in 2004, our congregation made a choice that I think was historic. To stand on this rock, to trust this Jesus, to believe in the authority of his word. And that's when, some of you know, we chose to join Lutheran congregations in Mission for Christ. Some of you went through rather painful times because long-standing friends 
members of this church didn't like the decision. They voted against it, and some of them left. And I know that those separations uh, still pain many of you to this day. It pains me. What those who left do with their lives and their choices, ultimately that's between them and God. Just as what we do is between us and God. But when I think back to those conversations and that decision, in one way, we really had no choice at all. This house, called Faith Lutheran Church, was established and built on the rock back in 1955 when 37 men, women, and children gathered in a rented storefront on Manal Boulevard to worship for the first time as the people of Faith Lutheran Church. We were simply continuing what God established in that humble beginning of our congregation. And my prayer is that regardless of all the changes that happened this side of heaven, my prayer and my hope is that this congregation will stay on the rock and remain faithfully there until Jesus comes again in glory. And he is surely coming. And I preach this sermon and I share this witness with you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.